0: What's going on? Welcome. Welcome in. This is episode 39. We're one away from 40. This is WFS, The Will Ford Show. I told y'all I'd be back. It is Friday evening. Uh, We're about one hour away from game three of the World Series between the Red Sox and the Dodgers. So that's fixing to be... Uh some some good sports to watch tonight. Uh no football on. Uh and obviously the NBA, but you know it's early season. So but yeah, so pretty exciting. I'm I'm glad that I'm able to get a second episode in this week. I would love to try to make this a two episode a week kind of thing. Because the way my schedule works with school is I'm off on Tuesdays. Well, I have one class. Then I have the rest of the day off, so I'd like to get an episode out on Tuesdays. And then Thursdays, I have no school at all. I'd like to get content ready and either get it out on a Thursday or just do it on a Friday, which is likely what I would do. And so here's the start. So let's jump right into it. Episode 39. As I said, Game 3 of the Red Sox and Dodgers World Series is tonight. The Red Sox are leading 2 to nothing. Um the pitching for for both sides has really suffered. And you know, it really hasn't seemed to matter for the Red Sox at all because their bats have just been on fire. Like they have a ton of talent at at pitcher, but it just it doesn't really matter how many runs they give up and and how many hits they allow. It they they're just on fire. Uh, in game one, a pinch hitter came in and hit a three-run homer to extend the lead to eight to four. So, you know, everybody's doing it for for the Red Sox. I still like the Red Sox in this series, as I've said before. Wouldn't be surprised if it's a sweep or in five. Uh, a funny thing I saw today on Twitter actually was the uh, someone I, I I don't know who started it, who found it, but it was circulating that. If you search on Google who the World Series champions were for 2018, the Boston Red Sox came up. And it was also the same if you searched like Boston Red Sox championships and then would have all the years they won, including 2018. And then so I looked it up myself just to see what was said and there's nothing there. So I my guess is it's just some fake Photoshop kind of deal. But it would be really ironic if uh, the Dodgers were to come back and win the World Series. That would be kind of funny. But I still like the Red Sox. Their their hitting has just been unstoppable. Doesn't matter how poorly they they do uh, defending and and pitching. Red Sox in four or five. So that's going to be in about an hour. But this episode would be dropped, you know, during the game. So, um, let's move on to the NBA. Um, so obviously it's early season, and you know you can't you can't look into records all too much, and and things like that, because obviously like LeBron's on a new team, players have joined new teams, there's new coaches and And what have you. But here, this is a list I've put together. It's a very short list. There's only four people. But I think this is a list of four NBA coaches who could potentially be fired by season's end. Potentially. It just depends on how the season goes. But I think they're very logical people to to consider. Um, And this is no particular order uh Brett Brown for the Philadelphia 76ers. He's been there for years and he's he's been a part of the process. He hasn't had that much talent, you know, over the past 6 years or so, but now that he's got Simmons and Embiid, things are looking up. They made a deep run into the playoffs last year. But I think if this season if they don't progress any further than they than they did last year or if they decline which is possible this this eastern conference seems to be a bit more competitive even with lebron gone it seems like it's more competitive with the rise of the bucks Uh, the Celtics are completely healthy toronto looks really good and the wizards are there like it's a pretty competitive east where it is at the top this year so if things go a little bit south, which I think they, there is a chance they could take a step back, I think Brett Brown will be on the chopping block. Uh, next, Tom Thibodeau for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, this team is really talented that he has, but he hasn't been able to put together a playoff run with this team. And obviously there's the fallout with Jimmy Butler, which we're going to get into later. But this team has got an immense amount of talent on it. And granted, they played the Rockets in the, I think it was the first round last year. But like, there's no way this team should be an 8 seed in the West. This team is way too talented for that with Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins. Teague is a serviceable point guard. I think if this Jimmy Butler situation gets any worse, or if he's traded, Thibodeau could be on the outs. Um, Billy Donovan for the Oklahoma City Thunder. This one I feel really strongly about. They've they started the season 0 4. But like I said, it's not you, you shouldn't look into records this early into the season. But they've they've started 0 4. It's it's been proven That Russell Westbrook is not a player you can build around. You can't win with Russell Westbrook. He's going to get you a lot of stats, and he'll win you some regular season games, but you're not going to go anywhere in the playoffs. Like Russell Westbrook is considered the fastest player in the NBA. He's also one of the fastest to exit the playoffs if he makes it. Billy Donovan, I think could be gone if they don't figure it out this year they've got p g back p g thirteen's back, Stephen Adams, they've got a solid team, solidly constructed team. It's just that Russell Westbrook I think they're I think they're going to start figuring out that you can't build around that guy. They're lucky Paul George has a great friendship with him. Because he would have fit way better with the Lakers or just basically any other team. Superstars can't play with Russell Westbrook. There's a reason why KD left. It's because Russ just, he's all about stats. He's not about winning. So I I really feel very strongly about Billy Donovan potentially being fired this year if the season does go poorly and they don't make a deep playoff run. And then lastly, Luke Walton for the Lakers. I still I think the Lakers are going to be really good and I don't I don't think Walton's going to be fired. But this is LeBron James we're talking about. LeBron James is single-handedly responsible for Probably like five head coaches being fired in the NBA. He's he gotten rid of David Blatt. Uh I think he got rid of Mike Brown in Cleveland. Like he's gotten rid of so many guys that, you know, it's it's not out of the possibility to think that he might get Luke Walton fired too. They did start off 0-3, but they've won two in a row, so they're two-and-three, but like I've mentioned early season, can't really look into it. Plus it's a new team. It's going to take a while for it to gel. But I wouldn't be surprised if say come mid-season, you know, the Lakers are kind of hovering around 500, maybe slightly above that, they don't boot Luke Walton out the door and bring in someone else. I really wouldn't be surprised. So the two I feel out of these 4, I think Billy Donovan is the most likely. And then I would put... I might put Luke Walton behind Billy Donovan just because of LeBron's history with head coaches. All right, I want to shift gears to this. Um, So obviously this is kind of old news, but I kind of just wanted to give my take on it. Uh, The Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo fight that ended up suspending uh players for multiple games Chris Paul was I believe three Rondo three and then Brandon Ingram got four games for getting involved as well um but the whole spitting on on Chris Paul thing I think it was an inver- inadvertent spit and if you also watch the tape it looked like Carmelo spit on Chris Paul too but on like inadvertently and, and Chris Paul kind of freaked out. I, I think it was, it was an inadvertent spit. I don't think Rondo meant to do it. Like, if Rondo meant to do it, he'd have been ready for what was coming from Chris Paul, because Chris Paul lit him up afterwards. And, you know, but there are, there's reports, Two, Rondo fired back at Chris Paul and, and and things. Rajon Rondo said that, you know, he's a bad teammate, Chris Paul is. And there's been confirmation from several former NBA players that, you know, Chris Paul is a terrible teammate. And, you know, he is, you know, according to those reports. I would I would agree with that. But he... I don't think it's that he's a terrible teammate and that he hates everybody. I think it's just that he's demanding. You know, he demands excellence out of everybody. And that's what you should do. You, If you're playing the game of basketball, if you're playing professional sports, you're in it to win. And I think that's definitely what Chris Paul is about. And if, you're, if you want to, he, he kind of reminds me of Kobe in that sense that he's just unrelentless. He's going to be on you. And if you aren't winning, he's going to be on you even more. And the thing I'll say, I would say about Rajon Rondo is that Rondo might be a, a more forgiving teammate. He might be easier to work with. But I would say he's far more difficult to coach. He's been on six teams in the past five years. I mean, what does that say about you? Chris Ball hasn't... He hasn't had any problems with head coaches. He was with Doc Rivers for, for several years. And you know, he was in New Orleans with and he didn't have any problems. I believe Monty Williams was the head coach in New Orleans when he was there. He didn't have any problems with him. He didn't have any problems with Doc Rivers. He didn't have any he doesn't have any problems with Mike D'Antoni. Chris Paul is far more coachable than Rajon Rondo. That's what I would say. Rondo has been on six teams in five seasons. What does that say about you as a person when you when you can't stay on a team? Rondo's one of the most talented point guards of this generation. As far as pure point guards, I think Rajon Rondo and Chris Paul are two of the three uh, best pure point guards of this generation. Granted, these guys are kind of a little spaced out, a little bit spaced out, but I would say the two of the best three since the early 2000s would be Steve Nash, Rajon Rondo, and Chris Paul. In my opinion, I like I love Rajon Rondo as a player. I think he is a extreme talent, excellent passer, great defender. Nash could do it all offensively, with the ball handling and the and the passing and the three point shooting and the scoring. And the same thing with Chris Paul. All three of these guys were excellent in their primes, and Chris Paul is arguably still in his prime. I mean, these are three of my most favorite players ever. But as far as the Chris Paul versus Rajon Rondo thing, I'm on the side of Chris Paul in this one. Because when you say you're a bad teammate, it's not necessarily that you're abusing people and you're, you know, you're hurting them. It's it's about being demanding and just wanting to win and Rajon Rondo is just uncoachable. That's just the facts. Um, Speaking of Chris Paul, plays for the Houston Rockets, um, Carmelo Anthony in Houston. Kind of want to shift to that. Carmelo, sort of similar to Rondo, he's been on like three different teams in the past two or three seasons. And now being in Houston, I don't know how that's going to work, man. I think... You know, he's coming off the bench right now. And I think that's the perfect role for him. I think he should salivate playing for the second unit because he's going to go against second-team guys, be the best player on the floor, best scorer on the floor, and just flourish, or at least theoretically he should, even though he really hasn't so far. But you got to remember, when Melo was in New York with Mike D'Antoni, they didn't work. It did not work now he's back in Houston with, with Mike D'Antoni. They don't like each other. They don't work well together. I don't think Carmelo Anthony's going to last. He might last the season. I think he's going to be useful come playoff time. Because when that three-pointer isn't falling, like it was, like, like there were multiple occasions in the playoffs where that three-pointer just wasn't falling. I think at one point against the Warriors, they missed like 27 in a row from three. So when that's not working, you can go to Melo in the post-up and in the mid-range, and he'll get you some buckets from there. But after this season, like it's a one-year deal, I think Melo is going to be shipped off to another another team. He's going to sign somewhere else for not that much money. Melo's just... He's not prime mellow anymore he's not that he's not as good as he once was still serviceable still a guy I would want on my team, but I just don't think it's gonna work in Houston. I think he can certainly help out, but i just in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's gonna work out. so we're gonna stick with Houston three Houston segments in a row. Um, the Jimmy Butler saga, this is kind of related. I'll get to it. So Jimmy Butler's on the trade block. We know that. He's he's once out of of Minnesota. And several teams have inquired about getting him. He's listed teams he wants to go to. But the Rockets have been particularly aggressive in acquiring Jimmy Butler. So much so that they offered four Future first-round picks for Jimmy Butler. Now, just a you know, just a quick glance at that deal, you would be like, "Holy crap! Four first-round picks. That's insane." But that's not as good of a deal as you think. Draft picks in the NBA don't hold the same value as they do in the NFL. Remember. There's only two rounds in NBA basketball, and there's seven in the NFL. And draft picks that are outside of the lottery, so outside of 13, they're not that valuable. And that's likely where they would be. They're going to be probably in the 25 to 30 range, as good as the Rockets are. And if you're lucky, you could find a guy like a Kyle Kuzma or Josh Hart, Draymond Green, Manu Ginobili, and and Isaiah Thomas. Like late in the, like he was a late second rounder, last pick of the second round actually. Like if you're lucky, you're gonna find a guy like that. Like the drafts in the NBA just really aren't that good. You're gonna have four players in any given NBA draft that are gonna be really good players, serviceable players. And then the rest, you know, they're just bench players or they just, they don't make the league, you know? So people are so enamored with this four first round picks for Jimmy Butler, but really, unless those are lottery picks, there's no great value. Like four of those probably equals one lottery pick. Like those four players combined. That's not good. The Rockets would have to give up a guy like, well, I don't even know if the, the like, you can't give up Clint Capella because they've got Carl Anthony Towns. You're not going to give up, I, I don't even know who you would give up. you got to make the salary work too, which I think is is dumb in the NBA, how you got to make salary work. but. Like, don't read into that offer and think, oh man, that's amazing, because it's not. Draft picks in the NFL carry so much more value, and the probability of finding a good player in later rounds is much higher than the probability of finding a good player in, in the second round in the NBA and late in the first that's just period, point blank. That's just plain and simple. That's what it is. But just think, if the Rockets were able to get Jimmy Butler, I mean, that would literally be the Houston All-Stars. You would have Chris Paul running the point, James Harden at the two, Jimmy Butler playing small forward, Carmelo Anthony, assuming he starts, playing the four, and then Clint Capella at the five. That's five all star caliber players. And that team could literally go toe to toe with the Warriors. And assuming both teams are healthy, that would be one heck of a series to watch in the playoffs if they meet. I mean, good God Almighty. It'd be the Golden State All Stars versus the Houston All Stars. That would be insane if that were to happen. But the Timberwolves did not bite on that four first round package. And I don't blame them because the value is just not the same. It's not as much as you think. Alright. So I forgot to mention last week. I, I talked, or not last week, but the other day. I was talking about, you know, all these all the sports going on and, you know, it's the World Series in baseball, the NBA season starting up, middle of the NFL season. I didn't mention hockey. And I apologize to all the hockey fans that listen to this show. I'm not sure how many of you there are. Um, and I actually titled the episode The Four Sportsmen and, you know, that didn't really make a lot of sense because... I didn't mention all four sports, um, so I'm going to talk about it now. Um, I'm not a huge hockey guy, you know. During the regular season, cause it's kind of like the NBA and, and baseball. The seasons are just so long, you know, and it's hard to get into a regular season for hockey and, and baseball and and basketball. But I do like to watch hockey when it comes to the playoffs. Same with baseball and 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 basketball obviously. So really, I'm just excited for the for the, for the playoffs to start in hockey. Yeah. Um and something I'm really excited about is that expansion team from Las Vegas, the the Las Vegas Golden Knights. They did really well last year, made a very deep playoff run. Almost won a championship. in their first year as a franchise. So I'm really excited to see how the Golden Knights do in their second season as a franchise and see if they can't win a championship or make another deep run because they're a really good team. They were really good last year. So I'm really excited for that. But like I said, I'm not a huge regular season guy, so I'm not going to talk about it as much unless there's some really notable information. Same with baseball NBA is probably the second most relevant sport behind football, so I would be talking about that a lot, especially with LeBron in LA and things like that. Um, So yeah, so we're going to... Let me shift gears now to the NFL. And something that I think is just... We've seen an increasing trend of is player movement... In the NFL, we see it in the NBA all the time, player movement. It's mayhem when it comes to the trade deadline in basketball. It's 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 almost who doesn't get traded in, in the NBA when it comes to the trade deadline. But in the NFL, we've seen a greater amount of players be traded at the trade deadline than ever before and we have i don't know about le- about a week less than a week left on the trade deadline week or so and i guarantee you there are more players that are still to be moved the giants are are just conducting a complete fire sale they traded Defensive tackle Damon Harrison to the Lions for a fifth round pick. I think that was I thought that was kind of low, a fifth rounder for Damon Harrison. Damon Harrison is probably one of the two or two or three best defensive tackles in football. I would put him behind Sue and and Donald. So to trade him away for a fifth, granted he's around thirty, but gosh, he is still a really good player. But the Giants are kind of just, they're getting rid of everybody. They got rid of Eli Apple, one of their young corners. They're getting rid of Harrison. And I wouldn't be surprised if they made some other moves. And with the trade deadline getting closer and closer, I put a list together of seven players that you should watch out for come the trade deadline one player is from the Giants. That's Janoris Jenkins. He is uh, late twenties, um, about twenty-nine, thirty years old, I believe. He is a really good corner playing on a terrible team. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants tried to move him to get some kind of draft capital. Um, I would say probably around a fourth or a fourth-round pick or so for for Janoris Jenkins, fourth and a fifth, maybe. He's one of the guys. He's one of those seven guys. We have two players from the Broncos that I think are interesting Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, both of their wide receivers who are pretty good wide receivers. The Broncos have said that they're not looking to move any of their guys, but I mean, the Broncos aren't really competing for the playoffs. Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are really talented receivers. And if you traded those guys, I think you can get an an insane amount of um, draft capital in return. Both of these guys are not, you know, in their primes anymore, but they're still really good players. Like before the Cowboys got Amari Cooper, I think Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders would have worked for them. They definitely would have been interesting options. So those are two guys I would watch out for, even though the Broncos say they're not willing to trade those guys. I bet you one of them will be traded, at least one, by the deadline, so that way they can continue their rebuild. LaShawn McCoy for the Buffalo Bills. The Bills have said they're not not looking to get rid of Shady, but they're also a terrible team. Shady's hit the age of 30 kind of taking a step back this year. Uh, The Eagles were interested in getting him after J.J. tore his ACL. Uh, And I'm sure there's other teams out there that would want to get him. Sean McCoy is still a really good running back. Still got some juice. I would look out for him. Uh, Of course, we know about Patrick Peterson. Cardinals said they don't want to get rid of him. Pat Pete says he wants out. He also double-backed on it and said that he's focused on where he is but you know how that goes I would watch out for him too and then obviously one we've been talking about for gosh it seems like a couple years now Le'Veon Bell Uh, he's holding out this year still hasn't come back yet he's expected to he has to come back before week 10 or he can't play at all during the rest of the season I would imagine he's gonna come back before then. But the Steelers put him on the trade block. And they they want to trade him because they have James Conner who is a really good back. But no one's gonna trade for Le'Veon Bell. No team No team is gonna want to do that. First of all, he's gonna command. A lot of money. He's going to command girly money, which is around $15 million a year. And he wants a long-term deal, too. He doesn't want no one, two-year deal. And if a team does trade for him, and he doesn't get that money, he's just going to hold out, and, and it's just going to be the same situation all over again. So number one, you're going to have to pay him if you trade for him. And if you're not able to, you're you're probably going to tag him, which he doesn't want. And if you tag him, he's going to hold out. And then you're back at square one again, and you gave away whatever you gave away for a guy to just sit on the bench. So it doesn't make sense for any team to go out and trade for him unless you know you have the money to sign him. And right now, I don't know what team is willing to do that, willing to sacrifice picks and players for a guy that may not even play if you don't pay him. And then lastly, with the Raiders making all their moves, Derek Carr, I think, is interesting. Now, I would be careful if I were John Gruden, though. I would not do this. Because figuring out the quarterback position, it's tough. It's really hard to do. It's really hard. And Derek Carr is a really solid quarterback. He's not great. You know, he's not top 10 in the league, but he's certainly top half of the league. And there are so many teams that could use a Derek Carr, like a Jacksonville... Tennessee would rather Derek Carr over Mariota. They just want to admit it. Tampa Bay would use Derek Carr over Jameis Winston. Uh, Miami could use a, could use a quarterback. Um, and just there's so many other teams. The Giants could use a quarterback. The Giants have Eli Manning right now, and Eli Manning isn't really working out right now this season. So many teams would be interested in Derek Carr, and I would be careful if I'm John Gruden. If I get rid of Derek Carr and I get a first round pick for him, first of all, that would be insane because you got five or six first rounders to use in the next two years. Likely one of those picks would be used on a quarterback, and you know, I'm not too hot on the quarterbacks coming in this year. Figuring out quarterback is hard, and when you have one, it's smart to just stick with him until you know you've got a better guy coming. I wouldn't trade him if I were John Gruden, but listen, they got rid of Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack. Would you be surprised if they got rid of Carr? Because I wouldn't. Alright, so I did mention Eli Manning. And obviously the Giants have been struggling this year, 1-6 and six on the season. Um, I think as far as who's to blame for why the season has gone so poorly, it's both Eli Manning and the offensive line for the Giants. They went out and signed Nate Solder, and he is just proven to be a complete waste of money. Nate Solder is the highest paid left tackle in NFL history, and he is, you know, just a complete waste of money. And I think this shows how well Belichick, Bill Belichick, you know, rotates talent. And he understands the value of certain players to his team. I'll give you a couple examples. Malcolm Butler, he benched him during the Super Bowl, let him walk in free agency to to Tennessee. Malcolm Butler, statistically, this year is one of the worst corners in football. Great move by Belichick. Maybe he was right. Nate Solder, like I said. Completely not worth the money. Not worth what he's been paid. and He's been awful. And as a result, Eli Manning's been terrible and the Giants have been terrible. So Belichick was like, I don't want to pay him all that money. We'll let him go. Smart. Dion Lewis. Dion Lewis is a really good running back. Good receiving back. He can run between the tackles a little bit too. Very fast, very quick. Good footwork. But Belichick has this just innate sense to always... You know, keep bringing in running backs. He drafted Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle is a great running back. He's got Rex Burkhead, and he's got James White, and and Kenyon Barner. Like he doesn't need Dion Lewis, and he didn't want to. He wasn't worth the money. He wasn't worth what Tennessee was willing to pay for Dion Lewis. So let him go. And then Dan, Danny Amendola. Amendola was good with the Patriots, but he wasn't worth the price tag to to Belichick. Let him go to 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 the Miami Dolphins. Has like one touchdown or two on the season, and hasn't really been that efficient. So Malcolm Butler benched him, didn't want to pay him, let it go, let him go. He's one of the worst corners in football right now. Nate Solder solid for them, but wasn't worth the money. Let him go. One of the worst left tackles in football. Deion Lewis good back but had plenty of other guys not worth the money let him go to Tennessee where he's still actually pretty solid but he's just not worth the money to Belichick and then Amandola, not worth the money and let him go to Miami where he's not that good it just shows how good Belichick is at evaluating talent and evaluating the needs of the team and the money it would it would require to pay the guys on his team. He's just so good at it, so good at it. Like if the if the Patriots called me for a trade, and I was a GM for a team, no, I'm not. I I do not want to do business with the Patriots because they're so good at figuring out what players they want and what players they don't want. And if the Patriots are trying to get rid of a guy. If they don't want him anymore, then there's something wrong. It's just period, point blank. You just don't do business with the Patriots if they're trying to get rid of a guy. It just shows how good the Patriots franchise is. It's the best franchise in football. It may not be the best team. But they are the best franchise. They've got the best head coach. This team is just so incredibly good in every area of the field. Like playing the game and then in the front office and coaching. And he just cycles players in every year. It's just a, you know, it's just completely rotates and shuffles every year. Like, Bill Pelajac doesn't want to pay anybody he doesn't have to. That's why he doesn't have that many stars on defense. Because he doesn't need a good defense to win Super Bowls. He's proven that. He just needs one that that is good situationally. And the Patriots are always good at playing situational defense. He doesn't need the stars. Just Belichick and this whole regime is just so good at evaluating talent, evaluating team needs, and evaluating the salary aspect of things. It's incredible how good they are. All right. So predictions for my primetime NFL games. I did the Thursday night prediction on Tuesday. I predicted it was Texans versus the Dolphins. I said the Texans, and it, I was correct. So we are 1-0 currently. I'm, I'm just starting fresh. And then the other four games I'm going to pick are the Lon- is the London game at Wembley Field between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I like... I really like the uh, the Jaguars in this one. You know, it's the Eagles I don't know what's up with the Eagles. I think they're just they're on that Super Bowl hangover and guys don't really know what's going on. They've got they've had some injuries. They're, they're, they don't play great situational football in the fourth quarter. They gave up a 17 point lead, and I think that's really concerning if you're an Eagles fan. And Doug Peterson just doesn't seem to know what's going on. I just don't like the Eagles. I don't really like the Jags either for that matter. Blake Bortles has been atrocious. Cody Kessler, I I, I believe, is going to start. Um, Defensively, they've got to figure it out. They've been torched the last couple of weeks. And they're, they're considered the best secondary in football, and they've been torched. Just absolutely broken and beaten down. But I just think with the way the Eagles have been playing, they've just. I'm going to give this one to the Jags. I'm going to go with the Jags in the London game. America's game of the week on Fox at 425. The Packers versus the Rams. This is going to be an outstanding game. I like the Rams for obvious reasons. The Packers you know they don't have much offensively to be able to to keep up with the Rams offensive production they just don't and the Rams defensively are just way better than the Packers are and so i think you know the Rams are going to put up 35 plus points and Rams are going to beat the Packers by a score of 38 to 21 i think it's going to be that kind of game for the Rams and Packers Sunday Night Football on NBC, Saints versus the Vikings. This is a rematch from the NFC Championship of last year where Case Keenum hooked up with Stephon Diggs for the game-winning touchdown. His time expired. The Minneapolis Miracle. I think the Saints are out for blood. They're out for revenge. Vikings are vulnerable defensively with some injuries, although they've been playing better of late. I like the Saints in this one. My Super Bowl pick in the NFC. Give me the Saints all day long. And then the Monday night game. The New England Patriots versus the Buffalo Bills. That is an AFC East showdown. The Bills have been... Probably the most confusing team in the NFL this year. They, one week they you know they go out and beat the Vikings, and then the next week they they get crushed. And uh, they're a hard team to read. It's it's unclear when they're going to give a great effort. But they're playing the Patriots. The Patriots have dominated the Bills in recent years. I love the Patriots in this one. And that added element of Josh Gordon to that Patriots offense I think is a real thing. I think that's a real factor. And I think Josh Gordon is going to help this Patriots team make another deep run in the playoffs and possibly a Super Bowl appearance, although I still love the Chargers. So, Thursday night game, I won that one. I'm 1-0 for this week. And then I pick the Jags over the Eagles in London. America's Game of the Week, I picked the Rams over the Packers. Sunday night, I picked the Saints over the Vikings. And then Monday night, I take the Patriots over the Bills. I will tweet those uh, on Sunday. Well, actually, I'll, I'll probably have to do it tomorrow night or, or today uh, because, you know, the, the Jags-Eagles game. Uh, that'll be early in the morning, and it's going to be around 9 o'clock in the morning kickoff Eastern time because of the time difference. Um, But yeah, those are my predictions for for primetime football, even though the London game and the game of the week, America's Game of the Week, aren't primetime. But I thought those were two other very notable games that I really wanted to pick. So all right guys, that's my show for this week. I would love to continue to to do two a week. That's my plan. Um, and every Tuesday, my plan is gonna uh, my plan is to do the Ford food chain. so after each NFL week, do it on a Tuesday after Monday night football and and rip off ten teams who are the best in the league, according to me. Uh, make sure you follow the show on Twitter at the Will Ford show. Make sure you rate and review the show on iTunes, like and comment on SoundCloud. We'll see you next Tuesday, everyone. It's WFS.